we are the descendants of 40 million people who left other countries, other familiar scenes, to come here to the United States to build a new life. I think it is not a burden, but a privilege. Welcome to Statutes of Liberty, an immigration podcast brought to you by Classco Immigration Law Partners. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Allison Lee, an associate here at Clasco Immigration Law Partners. Today, we're talking with partners Ron Clasco and Dan Lundy about the latest updates to the EB-5 Regional Center Program and what that means for investors, developers, and regional centers. So, Ron, I understand that the EB-5 Reform and Integrity Act that reauthorized the Regional Center Program was effective on May 15, 2022 but there's some delay in the implementation of certain provisions under the new law. My question is, what caused the delay? Yeah, Allison, when when the new law passed, we all assumed that the regional center program was up and running. What we didn't expect is that the immigration service would post a notice on its website stating that its interpretation of the new law was that all of the 630 regional centers that were authorized all of a sudden had lost their authorization. Uh, And as a result, there were no regional centers. And every regional center had to file a new application to become a regional center. And that would have probably taken years for the immigration service to adjudicate over 600 regional center applications. So the delay was caused by the fact that the immigration service decertified all the regional centers And all of a sudden, there were no regional centers to file applications. Uh, We're going to talk on this podcast about how we as a law firm and we as an EB-5 industry were able to react to that and get us back to the point where, as we talk today, uh, where the EB-5 regional center program is back in business. Thank you, Ron, for the information. Um, So, Dan, is the regional center program fully operational now? And how did that happen? So, uh, as a result of litigation in California and Washington D.C. by you know some of our clients and IIUSA, we were able to get a preliminary injunction reversing the policy of USCIS terminating all regional centers, all existing regional centers that were certified as of the expiration of the program are now it continue to be certified. Uh, in order to file a 526 petition, in order for investors to you know, file their petition for their green card, uh, a regional center has to file a 956F project exemplar application with USCIS and get a receipt, at which point investors can make their investments and can file their I-526 petitions. So as far as regional centers that either were not designated or regional centers that want to change their territory or make other changes, those changes are not approved yet. So if you were not a regional center, you're still not a regional center. You have to apply and be approved. If you were a regional center, you are a regional center that is approved for the same territory as you were approved when the program lapsed. Thank you again. Now, let me switch back to Ron. So Ron, did our firm play a role in the litigation that you just mentioned and then just mentioned? Yeah, we sure did, Allison. So uh, our law firm was retained as co-counsel 
by IIUSA, which is the regional center trade group, which was what's called amicus curiae in the uh, federal court litigation in the Northern District of California that produced the injunction. Uh, in addition, we are co-counsel to the five regional center plaintiffs who filed a lawsuit in the District of Columbia, which was uh, ultimately consolidated with the litigation in, uh, in California. So we have played a role in representing uh, five regional center plaintiffs and in representing the regional center trade group in the litigation. Thank you, Ron. So then, um, so relating to this litigation, what does the judge decision actually state? So the decision says that USCIS took the position that the new law forced them to deregister all regional centers. According to USCIS, they didn't think they had an option and the only possibility was that all regional centers had to be terminated and everybody had to start over. The judge said that this interpretation was clearly erroneous or most likely clearly erroneous, right? That there were other possibilities that USCIS failed to consider. And because, you know, this conclusion, this action of USCIS, the termination of all the all of the existing regional centers was based on an erroneous interpretation of the law, it had to be undone. So the judge said, put us back to the position where all regional centers that were existing continue to exist. They can continue to file investor petitions uh, consistent with the, the rest of the new law. So we have a decision on a preliminary injunction. We don't have a final decision yet, but the, the preliminary injunction is in effect until either there is a final decision or USCIS engages in, in reasoning and comes up with a, a you know reasoned explanation and a reasoned basis for taking action either to, you know, require regional centers to get redesignated or some other action. They, they have to interpret the statute, consider all the possibilities and come up with a reasoned plan of action. Um, that's, that's what the decision actually says. So the, the impact of that is that the regional center program is currently redesignated. They're no longer terminated. They, as we said, they can, you know, file 956F project exemplars after which investors can file I-526 petitions. Now, it's an open question whether ultimately they will also have to file a 956 and get recertified, or they'll just have to file annual compliance and or the 956F. Like We don't know what the end game is going to be and what the ultimate requirement is going to be, but for right now, we're back in business. Thank you, Dan. So we shall see. So Ron, so that's what Dan just said, uh, mean that regional centers can file project approval applications, what we call the exemplar applications now. Yeah, so as, as we do this podcast uh, here in, in July of 2022, uh, the big thing right now is now that all the regional centers know that they have their, they're a designated regional center again, they can put the project applications together. So what used to be called an exemplar petition um, under the old law, we now call project approval applications on form I-956F. And so we are busy at work now working with the regional centers and the project developers in putting together the economic reports and the business plans and the securities documents 
and everything needed to file a project application. And that is moving full speed ahead right now. And uh, one of the good things in the new law is that it is not necessary for the project approval applications to be adjudicated before investors can proceed to file. It's only necessary that they be filed. One of the issues we're going to be dealing with is whether investors and regional centers want to wait for receipt notices for the filings of the I-956F project applications, because we do not know uh, how long it's going to take the immigration service to issue formal receipt notices. So I do know that some of our clients are going to be prepared to proceed with, with I-526s based on proof of filing, even if it's not a receipt notice. So for example, if we have proof that FedEx delivered the application to the immigration service, and we have proof that the immigration service cashed the check, we know that the application was filed even though we don't have a receipt. And it's the filing of the application that allows investors to proceed with I-526s. So Dan, anything you want to add on, on when it's a good idea for investors to proceed with 526s? You know, hopefully they will get organized and find a way to issue those receipt notices in a timely fashion to, to mitigate some of the uncertainty. But yeah, as Ron said, as soon as that I-956F is filed, investors should be able to file petitions. Thank you, Ron. Um, so the next question is still to you, Ron. So what were the legal arguments that led the judge to decide that the USCIS action in decertifying the regional centers was not legal? Yeah, uh, Allison, mostly what we were arguing is what we call the language of the statute, the language of the new law. Uh, to us, it was clear that Congress intended to allow the regional center program to start up in uh, 60 days after the effective date of the new law. The Immigration Service said, no, 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 that the what, what happened was Congress repealed the old law and because Congress repealed the old law, everything under the old law, including the regional centers, go away. And the legal position we took, which the judge seemed to agree with, is that this was what's called a repeal and reauthorization. So Congress didn't say we're starting from scratch. Congress said we're taking the old program and reauthorizing it. That's the language of, of the law. And one of the points was that a reauthorization doesn't mean we're starting from ground zero, it means we're continuing an old program. Another key legal point was the new law, the, what's called the Reform and Integrity Act, stated that uh, the exemplar petitions filed on the I-924 form, filed you know, before June 30, 2021, when those were approved, they're still binding on the immigration service going forward under the new law. Well, the I-924 exemplars were regional center amendments filed by regional centers. So we argued and the judge agreed that how can you have a regional center amendment that is binding under the new law, but somehow the regional center doesn't even exist. It didn't make sense to us and happily it didn't make sense to the judge. 
We also talked about the fact that the language of the law discussed the fact that regional centers that, quote, have been designated um, under the law have certain responsibilities. Well, all of the 630 regional centers meet the requirement of having been designated just under the language of the law. So those were some of the uh, what we call statutory construction arguments that we made to the judge and that the judge accepted. Thank you, Ron. So Dan, what is the next step in, in this litigation? So the judge issued a preliminary injunction, which is, is not the final decision. The next step uh, will be for the parties to file motions for summary judgments um, to get a final decision of the judge. The final order will assess whether the action of USCIS was lawful and what the permanent relief will be. Uh, meanwhile, of course, you know we're hopeful that USCIS will engage in discussions with us and hopefully we can come to a settlement that you know is a, a rational and reasonable approach for all regional centers to continue their activity. Um, but we have to wait and see. Uh, meanwhile, the five regional centers that originally filed in DC are being joined into the litigation in California. Uh, so they'll get a chance to file their motions for summary judgments. Uh, IIUSA should get a chance to file a motion to su for summary judgments. Uh, the other regional center will be able to file his their motion for summary judgment, and the government will file probably a cross motion for summary judgment. Uh, after some briefing back and forth, we'll get a decision from the judge, but honestly, that could take six months to a year from now. And in the meantime, we still have the injunctions, which is fine. Thank you. Thank you both. Next question is to Ron. What advice does uh, our firm have for regional centers and developers now? We are suggesting to our regional center and developer clients that if they have projects that they're seeking EB-5 capital for and are ready to go, they should be moving forward as quickly as possible. There is a great pent-up demand for uh, you know for EB-5. It's been a long time since investors have been able to invest. So investors and agents are looking for good projects. Uh, and an investor can invest in a project uh, or you know can't file a 526 until the project approval application is filed. So the sooner that developers and regional centers can put together the project information and file the project applications, the sooner they'll be on the market and the sooner they'll be available for the investors who have been looking for projects to invest in. This is particularly true for projects in rural areas, which are you know, particularly attractive right now, especially for Chinese investors. So we all know, or most people listening to the podcast know, that Chinese investors, because of the huge number of applications that were filed, have had very long waiting lists, estimated as around 15 years, um, under the old law. The new law, the Reform and Integrity Act, provided what's called set-asides, only available for rural area projects. This is likely to be a brand new category under the quota, and therefore there's no waiting list in the category because it's brand new. So all of a sudden, Chinese investors who thought that if they invested in EB-5, they would have a 15-year wait, if they invest in a rural project, may have no wait. 
And so there's a huge demand now, especially in China, for rural area projects. So especially for our clients who are developing projects in rural areas, uh, there's a premium on being one of the first to market because there's such a demand for those projects. Thank you, Ron. So um, how about advice for investors? So Dan, do you have any advice for investors now? Yeah, if you're waiting to make an investment, uh, hoping that the regional center program would be reauthorized, it's now been reauthorized and, you know, you can file a 526 petition once that 956F is filed. So now would be the time uh, if you're interested in a rural project or a high unemployment project, um, there will eventually be quotas again, right? These, these are brand new categories, but there are only a certain number of visas a year for these categories. So these categories will develop their own queue. The sooner you get in line, the better off you're going to be. Thank you, Dan. So, Ron, relating to what Dan just said, um, do you think there are any risks for investors who file I-526 petitions now? Well, Alison, let, let's talk about the risks that always exist and the specific risks in, that we're involved in now with the implementation of the new program. So, we always we represent many, many EB-5 investors successfully. And in every case, we want to make sure that the investor is aware of two different risks. Number one is the risk that the petition will not result in getting a green card. And one of the things we do for our clients is we do due diligence on the project that they invest in to make sure we're satisfied that the chances of getting a green card through an investment in this project are good. That's immigration due diligence. If you invest in a project that is not uh, EB-5 compliant, you have the risk you won't get the green card. Uh, the other risk that investors always have is the financial risk. So every time you are investing in a project, uh, in any project, whether it's EB-5 or otherwise, uh, there is a risk. And in fact, an EB-5 project must be at risk or else it will the petition will be denied. It is not our role as Immigration Council to evaluate the financial risk of a project. And we always suggest our investors have financial advisors to do that. Because in addition to getting the green card, our, our clients generally are wanting to get their money back, hopefully with some return. And if, they, if you invest in a project, you could end up getting your green card because the necessary jobs are created, but you could lose your money. Those are the normal risks that are always involved in EB-5. The additional risks right now are related to the litigation that's going on. Um, so one risk is that the immigration service could appeal the judge's decision. As we do this podcast uh, today in July of 22, we don't know if the immigration service is going to appeal. My own personal opinion is that if they appeal, they will not be successful. Uh, but if they appeal and if they're successful, it could overturn the judge's injunction. Uh, if that happens, there's a separate issue of whether the overturning of the injunction would have retroactive impact. In other words, would that have any impact on investors who filed their applications at a time when the injunction was in effect? 
In my opinion, it is unlikely there would have retroactive impact, but that's a risk. So I would say there are some risks, but I believe it's highly unlikely that any of those risks would result in uh, investors' properly filed petitions being denied. But certainly each investor should discuss those risks with his or her immigration counsel. Um, and you know, again, it, the, the, anything I'm saying could be changed as a result of future steps in the litigation. Thank you, Ron. Thank you for your very helpful advice. My next and final question is to Dan. So Dan, what if an existing regional center wants to change or extend its geographic territory? So USCIS policy in the past has been that in order for an investor to file an I-526 petition and be approved, the investment has to be within the regional center's territory at the time of filing. So if the regional center wants to expand its territory, it has to file an amendment to its designation to expand its territory. Until that amendment is approved, there's a very big risk that an investor who files a 526 petition will not have filed in the approved territory at the time of filing. So, you know, the, there's some debate in, in the industry on this. Not everybody agrees, but we think the safest thing to do is, you know, if you want to do a project outside your existing territory, file that amendment and wait for it to get approved and then have investors file their petitions. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. And thank you, Ron, for talking with me today. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next time. For more information, visit us at classicallaw.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. You can email your immigration questions to podcast at classicallaw.com. Material contained in this podcast does not constitute direct legal advice and is for informational purposes only. An attorney-client relationship is not presumed or intended by receipt or review of this presentation. The information provided should never replace informed counsel when specific immigration-related guidance is needed. Thank you.